Well, greetings, everybody. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to the Best Old Time Radio Podcast. This week, we're doing an archive show. This is a Boomer Boulevard show that was first broadcast back on April 25th in 2016. We hope you enjoy it. It's half past eight exactly, Mr. Dillon. I better get it out of the safe now. Salutations, everyone. Come on in. The playhouse is open. Welcome to Boomer Boulevard. This is uh, the old-time radio show where we feature shows that we actually remember from when we were kids. Why? Because we're baby boomers. This is Bob Rowe, and I'm going to be your host through a series of shows that uh, came to us from mostly from the 1950s, and we remember them from when we were kids. Maybe we remember them from television, but uh, they were also on radio, and perhaps some of us heard them there, too. So grab a seat. We have a great lineup tonight. We have a Jack Benny show. It's very funny. It has to do with wrestling on TV. Then we have an episode of Dragnet that is tough and gritty about a maniacal, homicidal guy. And then we're going to end up on the streets of uh, Dodge City, Kansas, with a very literate episode of Gunsmoke I think you're going to enjoy. And to start things off, we have a little bonus show, and we'll talk about that in just one minute. start things off, guess what show we're going to play first. Here, let me give you a hint. You got it. We're going to start things off with an episode of Have Gun, Will Travel.
was not the original version you heard on TV. That was a version by Dwayne Eddy. His version, it really kind of speeded it up and rocked it out. You should have seen Chester. He was clogging. I, I, I've told you that before. He gets up on his sound console and he's got his, his hands clasped behind his back and he clogs and he's really good. Chester, you're, yeah, you're really good. Okay. Well, tonight we're going to start things off, as we said, with Have Gun, Will Travel. This episode originally broadcast on CBS back on August the 7th in 1960. The name of this is Father O'Toole's Organ. I know how important it is to have the organ delivered to your mission, Father. And even though there is a revolution, I'll get it through to you, somehow. Have Gun, Will Travel. Starring Mr. John Daner as Paladin. San Francisco, 1875, the Carlton Hotel, headquarters of a man called Paladin. Oh, uh, hey, boy. Oh, yes, sir. Will you follow me upstairs, please? Yes, sir. I have a bag packed I want you to bring down. I have to hurry. Oh, you ready to leave? Just about. Mr. Wong, very worried about this place you go. Or New Mexico? Yes, sir. She's a very strange place. It's no more strange than a lot of places my business takes me. What's she worried about? No, uh, Miss Paladin, I'm Missy Wong worried that you will drink too much brandy and have big hangover. Uh, she say, please remember this. Well, what has that got to do with it? Oh, Miss Wong. Oh, hello, Miss Paladin. You friends certainly make mess in this room last night. I'm afraid they did, Miss Wong. I'm sorry. We have to pick up some things, then I'm on my way. Oh, Mr. Paladin. Oh, you go that place? Why this sudden concern about where I go? This happens to be an important business assignment. Oh, but, Mr. Paladin, that place, so strange. Whole river of brandy? Whole river of brandy? Yes. The Rio Grande? Oh, yes, sir. And just where did you get your information? Mr. Bagshaw. Bagshaw, the old cowboy gone rich who has the suite on the third floor? Yes, sir. He sings song all about where you go. He teach song to Missy Wong. Oh, he did? Yes, sir. What's the song? Oh, Missy Wong not sing as well as Mr. Bagshaw, but it's something like this. 
Where the coffee grows on the white oak tree and the river flows with brandy, then it's fair you well, my own true love, for I'm bound for the Rio Grande. Oh, a river flow with brandy, I Don't you believe it, hey boy. That river flows with nothing but yellow water. Miss Wong, I'm afraid that is not a factual account of the Rio Grande. Oh, no, sir. No. Grab that bag, will you, hey boy? We have to go. Whenever an assignment took me to the border area, I made it a point to look in on Father O'Toole, parish priest of the Lower Rio Grande. So with my, what turned out to be pretty exhausting, business in Laredo finished, I headed for the little mission of St. Xavier. It was a visit I always anticipated with pleasure. Father Francis Michael Thomas O'Toole was one of my favorite people. I found him in the garden behind the church, down on his knees, working in a flower bed. Paladin! Well, now, that's good to see you, lad. Hello, Father. Well, it's a long time it's been. Ah, too long. Hey, garden is beautiful, Father. You've done a lot of work. Well, thank you, my son, but uh, uh, it's a constant fight we must wage against the forces of evil. How's that? Thrip. Thrip? And mealybug. Oh, well, I have never faced up to a mealybug in a fight, Father. I'm afraid I can't be of much help. <laughs> Formidable foe, mealybug. Well, come now. Uh, we'll see to your horse and relay the pleasant message that we're to have a guest for dinner, and then perhaps you'd like a glass of port. Uh, look here, I, I, I put up another hammock in the garden. Uh, I wonder, was I anticipating your visit? Oh, it certainly looks inviting. I just may get in that hammock and never want to move Father, out of it. Father O'Toole! Uh, uh, in the garden, Torno. You remember Torno? Yeah, he's the Indian boy you raised here, of course. Oh, he's a fine young man now. He just returned to St. Xavier. He's been in school in Santa Fe. Father O'Toole, I... Oh, excuse me. Oh, Torno, we have a visitor. Uh, uh, Mr. Paladin, you remember him? Of course. How are you, sir? Hello, Torno. Father O'Toole, I have checked again with the freight office. There is no freight coming through. Oh, dear. Oh, oh dear. Now, that is bad news. Well, what's the trouble, Father? Well, sinful it is, I suppose. But I, I did want to impress the bishop. The bishop? Mm, he's making a tour of the diocese and plans to visit St. Saviour's. Uh, we scrubbed and we polished and we planted and we shined and we torn them. Oh, I had counted on that organ. Organ? You see, Mr. Paladin, a very generous man made the church a gift of an organ. It was ordered from France and came by steamer to the Gulf of Mexico. And there it sits at the dock. Well, that, that's my punishment for my haughty dreams of making a fine show. Why isn't the freight coming through, Tono? Father, there is a revolution in progress between here and the Gulf of Mexico. Ah, uh, well, yeah, that serves me right for putting too much emphasis on the temporal oh, things. Oh, nonsense. If you've planned on that organ, I don't see why a revolution should interfere. Father, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll go after him. Oh, now, but Paladin... May I go with you, sir? Well, if it's all right with Father O'Toole... Uh, well, Paladin, you came here for a rest. <laughs> you just keep that hammock swinging, Father. I'll be back. Traveling to the Gulf on horseback, Tono and I were able to skirt the battlefield of the Revolution. However, on the return trip, we'd have to take the wagon road, which would lead us directly through the war zone. Still, I couldn't foresee any problem. Father O'Toole was well-known, well-loved, and I was sure that an explanation of our mission would grant us safe conduct. The whole business seemed very simple. 
that is, it did until we reached the port of Matamoros and ran into the typically Mexican official red tape. Mr. Paladin. Well, now, Tono, what did he say? Now we take these papers to the customs warehouse. And where's that? Across the street there. All right, let's go. How many papers have we signed by now? In duplicate, in triplicate, English and Spanish, translated upside down, sideways, and backwards? Very, very many, but we should be near the end. I hope so. That's the fellow we talked to over there. Yeah, all right, well, come on. Buenos dias. Yes, uh, I want to take delivery on a crate addressed to St. Xavier Mission. What, uh, what's he talking about? He says, do we have bill of lading? Oh, look, I've got that. And I've got that. For moment, Senor, would you mind to step aside for a little minute? But I have business to transact here. Business important. Well, I'm I'm sorry, sir. I happen to be transacting some muy importante business here myself. Now, if you'll just hold it a little minute, I trust we won't be long. Now, please. Uh, senor, I'm afraid you don't understand. I'm in a hurry. Business importante. Gracias. You're very kind. Gracias. Now, perdóneme. How do you like that, Tono? I can see, sir, that the fuse of your temper is getting awfully short, but we might as well be patient a while longer. Uh, of course you're right, Tono. As a matter of fact, I guess it would be funny if I weren't so tired of Why all this. Why don't I go to the livery and arrange for a wagon? Save time. All right, we'll need a team. Good, strong horses. Please. I'll see you at the loading docks behind the warehouse. Right. Perdóneme, senora. I believe it is your turn now. Yeah. Gracias. Very much. Mr. Paladin, I'm sorry I took so long. That's all right, Tono. They're just bringing the crates on the docks now. Did you get the team? Yes, yes. But you see, in this town, everything is a little difficult. <laughs> I've discovered that. Where's the wagon? There, uh, by the platform. That one? With the oxen? They'll get us there, Mr. Paladin. Oh, sure. Sure they will. Well, we've managed to get some action. That's our crate on the platform now. Come on. Uh, Tono, those men over there, those cargadores... Yes, sir. I've already paid them to help us load, so uh, you'd better give the orders. My Spanish seems to lack authority. Oh, sure. Hey, Tono, look. That man again. He's got his wagon to the platform. Yeah, and he's using my cargadores to load his crate for him. Hey, uh... Uh, pardone me, senor. Uh, See? Si? Those are my cargadores, mine. Ah, uh, see? Si? Well, but maybe you would stand back there, senor, for just a little minute. Business, importante. You see, I'm in such a hurry. Well, it happens that I am in a bit of a hurry myself. Bueno, well, we won't be long. But those men have been hired to load my crate. They've already been paid. Oh, senor, gracias. That's very kind. Now, now, if you'll just stand back, por favor. Cargadores, vámonos. Uh, cargadores, you load the crate you were paid to load, right? There. No, aquí, aquí. There. No, aquí. There. Senor. Si? What's your name? I am called Pancho. Well, Pancho, like I said to Tono, maybe if I weren't so tired, it'd be funny. But I am. And it isn't. So you just... Certainly a lot of excitement around there for a while. 
Those poor cargadores didn't know what they were doing. I'm a little ashamed of that, Tono. Pancho certainly isn't the first man I've hit, but I've usually had better cause. Well, we can't forget about it now. We have the organ, and Father O'Toole will be able to properly impress the bishop. That's right. Now, speaking of Pancho, is he still traveling behind us? No, he veered off to the right, back a ways. I wonder what he's hauling through the war zone here. Look, Mr. Paladin. Soldiers. Those are soldiers. Barefooted, armed with pitchforks. These must be the revoltosos, the peon army. Hmm. Well, I'll tell you, Tono. I'm for the underdog. I've just decided I'm on their side. Um, do you happen to know what they're fighting for? No, and they have probably forgotten themselves. Ah, oh, that, that must be the leader coming over this way. Yeah. Well, we'll just explain that we're on business for a St. Xavier mission and ask for safe conduct through the area. Look, Mr. Paladin, we're completely surrounded. Yeah. You know, Tono, those pitchforks don't look very military, but they certainly look effective. I'm glad we have a good explanation for being here. Senores? Uh, buenos dias. You will step down? Sure. Come on, Tono. Yes. You're gone? Well, uh, you let me explain. You're gone? Uh, all right. There. Now, if you will permit me to... You are under arrest. Arrest? We are too clever for you, are we not? We, the army of the people. Oh, believe me, all I need is a chance to explain. No need to explain. We have had word. You bring arms to the militia. The pigs are enemy. Oh, well, no. That's a mistake. We're on an errand for Father O'Toole. We're taking an organ to St. Xavier Mission. The Padre? Yes. San Javier? That's right. Organo? Mm-hmm. Mm, very nice. You mind we see organ for San Javier? Ooh. Pedro, abra la caja. Uh, look, uh, tell him to take it easy opening that crate. I don't want anything to happen to that organ. General Perez, rifles. He says rifles. Rifles. Rifles, Mr. Paladin. Rifles? My poor little army is grateful for them, senor. And it will be your honor to face them first in front of the firing squad. Without ceremony, we were prodded with pitchforks to a dugout on the side of the hill. It had an iron-barred, padlocked door. By the time my eyes got accustomed to the dark, I had managed to figure out what had happened. The muy importante business of my fat friend Pancho was undoubtedly a shipment of arms to the militia. In the confusion at the docks after I slugged him, the cargadores had put his crate on our wagon and our crate on his. If the militia expected rifles, it was a sure thing they weren't too happy when Pancho showed up with a church organ. Not very good food, Mr. Paladin, and not very much. We may starve to death before we reach the firing squad. Look, Tono, we aren't giving up. Father O'Toole has got to impress the bishop. You really think the militia has the organ? That's the only answer. <laughs> this is the darndest war. I've noticed every day about this time all activity seems to stop out there. Everything quiets down. Of course, the siesta. You mean even in the midst of a revolution, everybody stops after lunch to take a nap? Oh, yes, it is the custom. Oh, General Perez seems too disturbed for a siesta. Yes, he has been pacing back and forth out there. Yeah. Hey, hand me one of those tin plates, Tono. Yeah, that's right. Oh, hey. why do you do that? You'll see. Here, 
What is this? What does this mean? Uh, General Perez, si. you're starving us to death. You eat as well as my soldiers. You're short of food? See. Si. Well, why haven't we faced the firing squad? If you must know, we are also short of ammunition. Uh, I suspected that. General, would you like to win this war? Of course. All right, I have an idea. There's a plan that may help you, if you let us out of here. What nonsense is this? Even without those guns you confiscated. That militia is well-armed. You're never going to beat them with one crate of rifles, no ammunition, and a bunch of pitchforks. I'm afraid that is true, senor. It has more to win a war than a just cause. Let us throw in with you. Will you trust us? Why should I? Now, look, General. You can't afford to feed us. You can't afford to shoot us. You might just as well trust us. Believe me, you won't regret it, General. What can you do? We can go over into the enemy territory. But I cannot give you arms. I know. All we'll need are a couple of buckets. Buckets? Buckets of that adobe soil out there and some water. Uh, Senor, the heat is too much for you. No, no, no. I'm not loco, General. Just give us two hours over there. Then bring your men and attack. My poor little army against all those guns, it will mean complete defeat. I think you'll find it will mean complete surrender of the militia. Please trust me. All right, Senor. I have nothing to lose. You can try. Well, let's see now. Did you get those rifles stacked by the tents? Yes, yes. And those lying by the guards sleeping over there. These soldiers of the militia are sound sleepers. And lucky for us. Well, I guess that means we've plugged the barrels of every rifle in the outfit with that adobe mud. Now, in this heat, that adobe will harden and expand. And by the time Perez attacks... The guns of the militia will not perform with efficiency. Uh, even a pitchfork tono is a worthy weapon against a gun that fires backwards. Aha! So, I guess we've done our part for the people's army. Now, let's look for St. Xavier's organ. It's got to be around here someplace. Mr. Paladin. They're waking up. Yeah. Quick, duck behind that little stone building over there. Come on. Yes. Here. Here. You know, maybe we better sit out the battle right here. We'll have to look for the organ after the attack. I hope we can find it. But, Mr. Paladin, I've been thinking. What? Do you know how to play an organ? No. I don't either. Brother Manuel doesn't. Brother Luis doesn't. Well, what are you getting at? Mr. Paladin, I can't think of anyone in the parish who knows how to play an organ. Well, surely Father O'Toole thought of that. Hey. Hey, Tono, listen. It's inside this building. Yeah, there's a window down there. Come on. Careful. Careful. Look. It's Pancho. Hey. Hey, Pancho. Oh, buenos dias, senor. What's the idea? Senor Pancho is the victim of unfortunate circumstance. Tomorrow's the day Pancho is to die. They shoot Pancho. Uh, sort of the way I had figured. But what's the organ doing in the cell with you? Well, I made one last request that before I die, I be permitted to play this lovely organ of... For which, by a strange, unfortunate circumstance, I give my life. The request granted with understanding that I don't play until after siesta. Mr. Paladin, here comes General Perez. Right on time, eh, Tono? Pancho, 
You play the organ very well. Well, see, for many years I play organ up for the mass at the Cathedral of Our Lady of Guadalupe. You did. Pancho, I think maybe we could use you. How would you like to take a little trip? No trip, senorita. Tomorrow I die. Maybe not, Pancho. The revoltosos are coming on strong, Mr. Paladin. Pancho, listen. I figure to be on the winning team in this revolution. Maybe I can help Mr. Paladin, the militia is mowing itself down. Yes, Tono, I see. It's working just the way I hoped it would. They're being knocked down by their own guns. Senor, the people's army is winning. Now Pancho will go free, no? Only if you will transact big business with me. Business importante. Oh, muy importante, Pancho. You help us take the organ to Father O'Toole and play it for the bishop. How about it? See, Pancho, see. Viva la revolution. Oh, you said it, Pancho. Viva la revolution. Viva la revolution. Viva la revolution. Will Travel. Created by Herb Meadow and Sam Roth, is produced and directed in Hollywood by Frank Paris and stars John Daner as Paladin with Ben Wright as Hayboy and Virginia Gregg as Miss Wong. Tonight's story is being presented in two parts and was specially written for Have Gun, Will Travel by Ann Dowd. Featured in the cast were Don Diamond, Harry Bartell, Jack Edwards, and Bill Idelson. This is Hugh Douglas inviting you to join us again next week when CBS Radio presents Have Gun, Will Travel. theme was very nice too wasn't it that was have gun will travel and that one was originally broadcast back in august of 1960 truly one of the last shows from the last great days of radio that of course instead of uh, featuring richard boone as paladin actually featured john daner and richard boone was originally offered the radio role but he turned it down because he had other Film commitments. Daner, of course, was a proven radio veteran and fit right in very nicely. This show replaced Frontier Gentlemen. It was a good show, had a good sound to it. All right, now we're going to switch our attention to the streets of Los Angeles. It's time for this week's Dose of Radio Noir. 
You know, the black and white gritty story that takes place in a maybe not so nice part of a big city back around the 1950s. Well, we're not going to disappoint you this week. We have an episode of Dragnet, one of the early episodes. In fact, this one was broadcast all the way back in 1949 on August the 11th. It was only the 10th episode of Dragnet to be uh, presented on NBC. As a result, we have Barton Yarbrough in this one as uh, Sergeant Ben Romero, who is the sidekick or partner to Jack Webb's Sergeant Joe Friday. Never could figure out why a guy that sounded like Barton Yarbrough would have the last name Romero on the show. But I guess there's uh, stranger things that happen when it comes to uh, people's last names. This one is uh, kind of gritty, using that word again. It uh, takes place in the Homicide Division of the Los Angeles Police Department. Of course, the show would have Friday jump from homicide one week to missing persons the next to uh, robbery uh, the next. And of course, that's not the way true policemen do, but that was a vehicle that they used in order to get the various stories from the various departments of the police department. But tonight, we have a homicide. In fact, the name of this episode is The Maniac Murderer. Here it comes. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. NBC brings you Dragnet. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned to homicide. There's a mad killer at large in your city. A woman has been brutally slain, the body mutilated. The picture is clear. The killer has a thirst for blood. Your job, get him. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime, investigated and solved by the men who unrelentingly stand watch on the security of your home, your family, and your life. For the next 30 minutes, transcribed in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step-by-step step on the side of the law through an actual case from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Wednesday, January 12th. It was raining in Los Angeles. We were working the night watch out of homicide. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Ed Backstrand, chief of detectives. My name's Friday. I was on the way back from the morgue, and it was 11.23 p.m. when I got to room 42. Homicide. Hi, Joe. Chief wants to see you. He's in there with Romero. Thanks, Chandler. How's the wife? Fine. How about your mother? Better, thanks. Hi, Joe. Hi. Friday, sit down. Did they post the body in? In the morning. Pretty messy. Strangled and mutilated. The guy's a maniac, Skipper. The body shows it. Uh, a murder like this? Anybody's a suspect. The coroner looked at the body. He says the weapon was a long, sharp instrument. Found her in a hotel down on East 3rd Street. Manager's son discovered her about 7.30. You talked to him? It was too much for him. He passed out. Manager wasn't home. We'll check with him before midnight. 
Close to it now, Joe. We better get going. All right. The boys from the crime lab check the room? We're still down there, Ed. The place is a mess. Get back as soon as you can. We're working straight through on this thing. That's a hot shot. I'll get it. At the Lux Hotel, room 219, corner of South Grand and Cordova. Dead body. Possible homicide. The Lux Hotel, room 219, corner of South Grand and Cordova. A dead... What is it, Friday? Lux Hotel, possible homicide. Busy night. Yeah. You coming, Ed? Right. Let's go. Six minutes later, Ed Backstrand, Ben, and I pulled up in front of the Lux Hotel. The manager met us at the door and led the way up a narrow stairway to the second floor. The room number was 219. We were prepared for the worst. We got it. You're right, Romero. The guy must be a maniac. 2 hotels, two murders. The same M.O. Three of us made a brief inspection of the room at the Lux Hotel. We took a few notes on the appearance of the girl's body and a brief description. Apparently, she'd been strangled to death first, and then her body brutally mangled. Ben and I went back down to the lobby, and the manager, of Mr. Ford, showed us the house book. The girl was registered together with a man, Mr. and Mrs. Philip Grant. We took the hotel register to have it checked for fingerprints and to photostat the handwriting. Ben notified the crime lab. Then we went back to the room and questioned the manager. Mr. and Mrs. Philip Grant, that's all I know. I never saw either one of them before tonight. When did they check in, Mr. Ford? About three hours ago. That's right, about nine. Maybe a little before. Did they register together? Yeah, a little before nine. They came in together. Did you let them in the room? Yes, sir, like I always do. It's a small place here, maybe not first class, but I treat people right. What did the man look like? Do you remember? I think so. Kind of tall. Young, maybe 30 or so. Husky fellow. Had a mustache. How tall would you say, Mr. Ford? Oh, about your height, Wade. Must have been at least 180. Seemed like a nice fella. Would you know him if you saw him again? I think so. People sure don't act like they look. You think it was him? Can you think of anybody else? Well, no. I never saw him before tonight, either one of them. I don't know anything about it. Did you notice anything in particular about them when they came in? Well, he didn't show it. But it looked like she'd been drinking a little. Giggling, you know. And you didn't see this man Grant leave the hotel? No, I didn't. I must have been checking the account books back of the desk. Guess he got by me. Is there a back entrance to the hotel, Mr. Ford? No, he had to come out this way, all right. How about the fire escape? I never thought of that. Say, I bet you cops think I'm trying to hide something. How did you happen to find the body? I don't know anything about it, honest. I've been running the hotel for ten years now. Everybody knows me around here. You can ask at the bank. All right, Mr. Ford. Now, would you mind telling us how you happened to find the body? I don't want a lot of lousy newspaper publicity. Give the place a bad name. Can you blame me? The newspapers won't get your name from us. All we want to know is how you happened to find the body. Well, I told you. It's a small place here, but I like to treat people right. A couple hours after they checked in, I remembered I forgot to fill the ice water pitcher in the room. So I got some and took it up. The door was opened a little ways. It's got a bad catch on it. And the lights were on. I peeked in, and there she was. She was... Well, the guy must have been crazy. 
Do you remember what time it was when you found her? Well, just before I called the cops, about half past 11, I guess. All right, Ford, that's all for now. When the other officers get here, show them up, will you? Yes, sir, I sure will. Romero? Yes, Giver? Get on the phone downstairs and call the Metropolitan Division. Have them send us every available man from the reserve unit. We're going to patrol the area for the rest of the night. Right, Chief. Least we can do is make it hard for him. <laughs> Two murders in seven hours. Yeah. Both of them in a three-block radius. Yeah, same pattern. It's got to be the same guy. All right, we got a description. What do you think? Well, when the reserve unit shows up, have them cover this whole section of town. Pick up everybody who even comes close to that guy's description. All right, Ed. It's got to go fast. We can't lose a minute. One hour either way, it, it might mean another body. Like this one. Nine minutes later, at four minutes past midnight, the men from the crime lab showed up. It started to drizzle. They went over the room in detail. They dusted everything in the room for fingerprints, the walls, the doors, the fixtures in the bathroom, the lamps, chairs, everything. They took samples of the girl's blood and her lipstick. Small pieces of flesh and human hair were found under the girl's fingernails. The nails were scraped carefully and the contents put in an envelope, marked and sealed. Ed Backstrand ordered pictures taken of the room and the girl's body from different angles. Every object in the room that could have any possible tie-in with a murder was photographed. It was raining. The rear of the hotel where the fire escape was overlooked a vacant lot. Ben had a hunch. While the lab men were at work, we left the hotel and circled around into the lot for a look at the ground directly underneath the fire escape ladder. It was raining hard now. Must be an easier way to make a living. Mud's almost up to my knee. Mine too. Watch your step. See any prints? No. Wait till my wife sees these new shoes. Put it on your expense account. Oh, real funny. Ben, get that light over here. Look. Yeah. Good set of prints. Lucky that rain didn't start turning to wash them out by now. Yeah. Hand me that cover from the trash can over there. I'll cover them. Wait a minute. What? Here, on the edge of the fire escape ladder. Small hunk of cloth. Man suit? Well, looks like it. Might have caught himself in that sharp corner. <laughs> I got it. All right, come on. Let's get back. Yeah. Out of this mud bath. Yo. Huh? Let me have a light. You catch anything? Hunk of wrapping paper in that trash can. Stains on it. Open it up. Look. Yeah. Butcher knife. We went back to the Lux Hotel, room 219. The lab men were tearing the room apart. It was ten minutes to one. We gave the blood-stained knife and the piece of cloth we found on the fire escape to Lieutenant Lee Jones, head of the crime lab. We told him about the footprints just below the fire escape ladder. The knife will help us, so will the cloth. I don't know about the footprints. You say you covered them? That's right, Lee. They still look in pretty good shape. Maybe we can do something if the rain hasn't broken them down too bad. Bracken. Yeah, Lieutenant? You and Sloan get downstairs and take a look at those prints. They're good enough. Get a torch, dry them out, and make a cast, right? Okay, Lieutenant. Come on, Sloan. That's about all I can do for you now, Ed. I think we got everything there is to get. All right, Jones. I'll follow you back to the lab in a couple of minutes. Okay, Ed. Good luck, fellas. Thanks, Lee. We're going to need it. All right, Friday, Romero, it's your baby for the rest of the night. Did he get anything? A few prints, a woman's purse under the bed. Don't know if it's hers or not. No identification. You going to be at the crime lab, Ed? All night. As soon as we find anything, I'll let you know. Yeah? A gang of cops just came in the lobby. 
They asked for you. Must be the reserve men from Metropolitan. Tell them we'll be right down, Ford. Okay. You want us to handle it, Ed? That's right. Do just as I told you. Spread them out over the whole area. Cover the streets, the alleys, the flop houses, restaurants, bars, everything. You got a description to go on. Find the man that fits it. Right, Skipper. Don't forget, the guy's a killer twice over. I don't think he'd hesitate on you. Be careful. We went down to the lobby and Ed Backstrand gave the reserve men their orders. Then Backstrand left and Ben and I took over. We picked up another half dozen men in addition to the men in the reserve unit. They were deployed over an area of a dozen square blocks. It was one of the toughest sections of the city. With a general description of the suspect, some of them were to travel on foot, some in cruiser cars. A few minutes before 1 a.m., there was a steady downpour. Visibility was bad. At three minutes past one, the manhunt was on. For the first 30 minutes, Ben and I cruised the general area between East 3rd and College Streets and Alameda and Figueroa. No sign. The rain kept on. We sat and listened to the calls come in. 12A, call your station. 12A, KMA 367. Attention, all units. Recovered license plates in the 6th column. 4 Young, 7690. 41R, 7886, standard avenue, at 373. 41R, KMA 367. Unit 71, at 2816 West La Cienega, the 507 party. What do you think, Joe? Any hunches? I think he's still around. Somewhere inside these 12 blocks. I'd bet on it. Five? All right, you're on. Want to check out a couple of these bars along here? Getting on a closing time. It's a good idea. Pull over, huh? All right, let's check them for the next couple of blocks, huh? Right. For the next six blocks until closing time, Ben and I checked every bar and every informant we met along the way. The questions got to be automatic. Have you seen a man answering this description? Tall, dark, about 5 feet 11, 180 pounds, well-built, mustache, about 30 years old. The answer's got to be automatic, too. Sorry, officer, I haven't seen him. No, can't remember him. Try the place down the street. We kept on checking the bars until they closed for the night. Then we started on the all-night restaurants and coffee counters. We did plenty of legwork for the next hour. Not a trace. About 2.30, the rain let up a little. And then it started in heavy all over again. That finishes that block. Yeah, I better get the radio on. Yeah. Beautiful weather. By the bucketful. You want to smoke? Hmm, thank you. Control 4, Unit 80K, your location, please. Yeah, yeah. 80K, your location, KMA 367. That's us, Joe. You want to take it? Yeah, I got it. 80K to Control 4. 80K to Control 4. Our location, corner of Alameda and Commercial, KMA 367. 80K, stand by. Something doing. Maybe. No, hold on a minute. Control 4 to 80K. Go to the crime lab, code 2. 80K to Control 4, KMA 367. Crime lab? Maybe those prints paid off. Well, I hope so. Let's go. 
Gillis sure picked fine weather to work in. Feels like I've just been swimming in these clothes. Yeah, I hope those guys in the crime lab have the heater on. A hot bath and a warm bed lead me on. Attention, all units. Hold it, let's get the radio. Attention, all units. At 420 St. John's Place, a woman screaming. At 420 St. John's Place, a woman All right, double around, Ben. Hit the siren. I'll get the light. Right, hold on. Left turn on the market, is that right? Yeah, watch out for those contracts are wet. Hold on again. The alley up ahead to your right, huh? All right, pull up, Ben. Put the street light over there. All right, come on. Let's go. Officer! Officer, over here! All right, what happened? Let's have it. This girl, Rita, she was coming home up the street. A man, he tried to grab her. He slashed her coat. Look at her. I saw him as he ran under the streetlight. Where'd he go? Down that way, down the alley, over that fence there. A big man. Davis, Davis, you there? Yeah, Joe. All right, Ben, go with Davis. Circle behind the alley. See what you can find. I'll call in. All right, come on, Dave. Yeah. Oh, but look at her face. What's wrong with her? Severe state of shock, it looks like. Get her in the house, huh? I'll call an ambulance. 80K to control four. 80K to control four. Control four, go ahead. Direct all units in the vicinity to converge on area around St. John's Place from Jackson to Banning Street. A woman attacked by a large man with a knife. Suspect left seen on foot. Possibly still an area. Request ambulance. KMA 367. 80K, Roger, stand by. Attention, all units. Attention, all units. Converge on area around St. John's Place, Jackson to Banning Street. 80K reports woman attacked by large man with knife. Suspect left seen on foot. In three minutes, the area around St. John's Place was surrounded. For the next hour, the men combed the neighborhood back and forth. Every building, every storehouse in the two square blocks was searched from basement to attic. No trace. The girl, Rita, was hysterical. She could give us only a bare description of her attacker. At 3.45 a.m., a detail was assigned to patrol the area, and the rest of the cars and men were deployed again in the general area from Figueroa to Alameda Street and East 3rd to College Street. The manhunt went on. So did the rain. At 3.54, Ben and I checked in at the old city jail building, second floor, the crime lab. Chief Ed Backstrand and Lee Jones were waiting for us. Heard about the call. How'd he get away? Not sure it was him, Skipper. How do you mean? Well, the girl wasn't hurt bad for one thing, no attempted strangling. For another thing, the guy stole her purse. That doesn't sound like the man we're after. Did you get a description from the girl? Didn't jibe too well what she gave us. She was pretty hysterical. And you raked the neighborhood good? Every corner, not a sign. You find anything? Yeah. Jones? Yeah, Ed. Fill them in, will you? Not one print on that knife you found, boys. Blood, but not a print. Your killer's crazy like a fox. And how about the scrapings from the girl's fingernails, Lee? Didn't help too much. Rarely do. Not enough to go on. Gotta have a fair-sized bit of flesh to run it for papal ridges. All we found under the girl's fingernails were small bits of skin. Yeah? She probably scratched the guy up some. Might have drawn blood. We had more luck with the footprints. You get an impression? Right out the ground with torches and cast them. About size 10B. That's fine, Lee. But how about the prints? Only good one was a thumb. Real good. Got it off the wall near the light switch in the bathroom. You classified yet? Yep. Found it in our single fingerprint file. The print belongs to a man by the name of Long. Robert Long. He got a record, Ed? Yeah. Misdemeanor. Two arrests for drunkenness last October. Petty theft in December. The mama sheet shows a dishonorable discharge from the United States Coast Guard in 1946. Age 29. 
192 pounds, 5 feet 10 inches, dark hair, dark eyes. That's close enough. We got even closer, Joe. Long works as a counterman at the Cottage Cafe down on South Flower. Started there last week on the early morning shift, but he didn't show up for work last night. Good. Where'd you get the tip? The knife you boys found. Didn't have any prints, but it had a brand on it. We ran it down. It was taken from the Cottage Cafe. Mm-hmm. Any address on this Robert Long, Ed? Yeah, got it from his boss. Rooming house on East First. Landlady says he hasn't been home in two nights. Well, now we wait. Rooming house is staked out, and so is the cottage cafe, just in case Long decides to show up for work this morning. What time you got, Romero? Mm, six minutes past four. All right. We've got every indication that Robert Long's the man we're after. His description, fingerprints, the knife, the footprint, his size. Maybe we're wrong. I don't think so. How about a motive, Ed? I think Robert Long likes to kill. He's thirsty for it. None of the victims were criminally attacked. They were strangled. Bodies mutilated. How about robbery? No. Two of the women he killed had money in their purses. He didn't touch it. Well, what's next, Skipper? Back on the street? Figueroa to Alameda. East 3rd to College Street. Keep an head around that area and work it back and forth until we're positive he's not inside. I think he is. At ten minutes past 4 a.m., Ed Backstrand, Ben, and I left the crime lab and drove to the surrounded area. It was still raining. We passed several patrolmen from the reserve unit making the rounds. They didn't look any more comfortable than we felt. At Broadway and Alpine Street, Ben and I got out and started patrolling on foot again. Backstrand followed in the car to maintain a radio check. We must have covered two dozen blocks and a half a dozen coffee counters before we got to the Criterion Restaurant and Donut Shop, a few blocks up the street from the Cottage Cafe. Hey, Skipper. You want to take a minute for some hot coffee? I'll keep an ear on the radio. You two go ahead. You look drenched. Yeah, we are. Will we bring you some back in a paper carton? Fine, thanks. Cream. No sugar. All right, Ed. Come on, Ben. Place is empty. Yeah. Yes, sir, gentlemen. What'll it be? Hot coffee? Yeah, there's two of us here. Can you fix up one to go? Sure thing. Say, on that one to go, cream, no sugar. Right. Say, you fellas cops? Yeah, why? No offense, just wondering. Here you are. Thank you. Cop in uniform was around a couple hours ago. Wanted to know if I'd seen some guy he was looking for. Tall, about 190 pounds, mustache, about 30 years old. Yeah, that's the description he gave me. He, he was looking for the guy. So are we. Say, that's good. That other cop came in right at my busiest time, a little after two when the bars closed. You know, it gets pretty rushed, and I didn't have much time to think, so I just said no. Then after the cop left, I remembered. You saw a man answering that description tonight? Yeah. I would have told the cop, but I was rushed. You know how it is. No time to think, and then I remembered. Are you sure? Oh, I'm sure, all right. Whoever he is, he's a lady killer. What do you mean? No offense, uh, it was a sharp-looking dame down the end of the counter, and this guy breezes in and picks her up. Talks to her about 20 minutes, buys her a cup of coffee, and they walk out together. Do you remember what she looked like? Oh, nice-looking dame. Not beautiful, you know, more on the, on the cute side. Ben, you got that morgue shot? Oh, yeah. Here, here it is. Thanks. Here's a picture. This the girl? Let's see. Yeah, that's her. Who is she? I don't know, mister. Down at the morgue, they call her Jane Doe, number seven. 
just by accident, we'd come across a concrete lead on the killer's method of operation. The picture we showed the man in the donut shop was a shot of the strangler's first victim the night before. Evidently, the killer would enter a bar, coffee shop, or restaurant, strike up a conversation with a woman, make friends with her, either buy her drinks or invite her to a bar in the neighborhood, and then the rest of the puzzle was still unsolved. We went back to the cottage cafe and checked with the men on stakeout. Not a sign of them, Chief. How are you men covering the place? Baxter up in front in the booth across from the cash register. Lyman's back with the dishwashers. I'm at the counter. When's Long due to report for work, Dave? At five. About mm, 20 minutes to go. You're lucky you're inside. It's wet out there. You look it. All right, Davis. We'll be around about five. Right, Chief. Let's get back in the car. Where to, Skipper? Cruise the next two blocks, but don't go too far. If Long shows up for work this morning, we want to be around. The next ten minutes dragged by. The rain kept on. Backstrand chewed nervously on a cigar. At South Flower and First Street, the sewers were clogged with street refuse. The rain backed up and filled the intersection. A group of aircraft workers huddled together in a doorway on one corner, waiting for the bus. It was cold and damp. I opened one of the back windows in the car to get some fresh air in. Off in the distance and close by, we could hear the sounds of a big city waking up slow to a rainy January morning. It was eight minutes to five. Attention all units. Attention all units. At 780 East Main, a restaurant... Man answering description of murder suspect. All right, Romero, step on it. Right, About ten blocks away, Ed. Who's going to cover the men at the cottage cafe? If this is a blind lead, it won't take us long to find out. They can handle it alone if they have to. Hang on. Look out. We're skidding. That was a close one, Ben. Yeah. If this is the guy, I owe you five bucks, right? Yeah. Attention all units. Additional information on your call to 780 East Main. Officers in pursuit of suspect. Suspect is on foot. Step on it, Romero. Two more blocks, Skipper. Watch it, Ben. Next one to the left. Got it. That's the joint up ahead there. All right, watch your step and don't take chances. Don't play with it. Right. Here we go. He went out the back. Ran down that alley. Come on, Ben. Behind you. You men, hustle it. Circle around the block and choke off the alley. Fast. Emerson, Holmes, go with the right. All right, over the fence, Ben. Ben, look out, look out. You all right? It's not that good. Come on, Joe. All right. There he goes. Between the buildings. Stop or I'll shoot. The next house. He ducked into the basement. All right, cover me. Right. Come on, he broke through the garage doors. There's Davis. Dave, Dave, he slipped through. Get down to the next corner and ring the block. Yeah. Ben, Ben, did you follow him? Yeah, right on his tail, that warehouse, a couple of lots over. He went through the back. There it is, Joe. All right, don't go in blind, watch out. All right, Joe, you haven't got a chance. Come out with your hands up. He's not stopping, Joe. All right, let's fan out. All right, Ben, cover me, I'm going for the door. All right, Ben, come on, you're clear. 
You spot him? There he is. Let's get him. Close. He's in a good spot. Let's move. He's up in the loft. Come on, let's head for the stairs. Will you? Easy. You spot him, Ben? No. Not a sign. Ben, look out that packing tail. Kind of close, huh, Joe? Yeah. Let's get that punk now. Look out, Joe. There's another one. All right, you. We got the warehouse surrounded. Come on down. All right, then we'll flash you out. Joe, he's dropping down the ladder. He's going for the front door. They're waiting for you with Tommy guns out there. They'll cut you down. Stop. Joe, he's got the door open. He's making a break for it. Crazy, he's trying to shoot his way out. Well, he asked for it. Yeah. Let's take a look. Messed up. Well, like his girlfriends. Maybe he just didn't like women. Maybe. Hi, Ed. You all right? Tired. This is him, huh? Even the scratches that girl made on his face. <laughs> Description match? Five feet ten, 192 pounds, dark hair, dark eyes, age 29. Robert Long, killer. just heard is true. Only the names were changed to protect the innocent. You have just heard the tenth in a new series of authentic cases transcribed from official files. Technical advice for Dragnet is furnished by the Los Angeles Police Department. Tonight's program is dedicated to Detective Louis A. Abbott of the Chicago Police Department who on the afternoon of March 3rd, 1947, gave his life so that yours might be more secure. Dragnet came to you from Los Angeles. If you enjoyed tonight's production of Dragnet, you'll probably want to listen this Saturday evening to a pair of adventure shows featuring two well-known Hollywood personalities. You'll enjoy Brian Donlevy, star of Dangerous Assignment. Also on Saturday's schedule is Richard Diamond, private detective, as played by the screen's romantic tough guy, Dick Powell. Listen to both of these exciting programs this Saturday over most of these NBC stations. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Somehow I just never thought of Dick Powell as a romantic, tough guy. He just, I don't know. All right, that was Dragnet, the maniac murderer. Ooh, kind of gruesome, right? That one was originally broadcast on the 11th of August in 1949 over NBC. Couple program notes on that one. First off, did you notice Harry Morgan uh, played the the innkeeper, the, the guy behind the desk there at the flop house. 
Harry Morgan, of course, went on later to become Joe Friday's partner, Frank Gannon, on the second, was it second or third, uh, time Dragnet was uh, uh, appeared on television, the third incarnation of Dragnet on television. Uh, Harry Morgan always had that great voice. Of course, he also played Colonel Potter on MASH and a number of other shows. I I remember him really early from the TV show December Bride, in which he played Pete Porter. They also did a spinoff of that called uh, Pete and Gladys with uh, uh, Harry Morgan and Kara uh, Williams playing playing his wife Gladys, who was never... Uh, never on December Bride, which had Spring Byington, but also Verna Felton, who you hear all the time in these uh, old-time radio shows. Another thing I find unique is oftentimes when they have a sound effect of a car pulling away, as they did in this one tonight when uh, Friday and uh, and Romero were driving uh, in the chase, you, you can hear them shifting through the gears. I... I I have to look up, when did the first automatic transmissions come out? I don't know. And, of course, even the automatic ships, but not like that. You can literally hear it. Like that. And it's just it, it's so typical of the era because that's that's the way cars sounded like back in 1949. Oh, another thing. When was the last time you heard a cop with a whistle? Remember, that was almost a synonymous sound back then of a policeman with a whistle. You know, stop, and then they'd, they'd, they'd blow the whistle. But I don't know, I don't know when that, uh, that went away. And the other thing is stop or I'll shoot. Oh, man, that, you, you would hear that in every movie. I don't know if the police actually did that or if that was just something that was done in a movie. But they were sure quick to pull out a gun and shoot, weren't they? And you would hear that so often. Stop. Stop or I'll shoot. That's kind of like in shows like Gunsmoke, uh, Matt will get a warrant, or not a warrant, but a a poster from the government saying wanted dead or alive. If the person wasn't sentenced to death, who had the right to tell them that it would be okay to kill this guy? How many times you had episodes where you know, they would bring in somebody and Matt was going to arrest him for murder. Nope, nope. Marshall, he was wanted dead or alive. Oh, boy, yeah, okay. I won't arrest you. I'll pay you $5,000. Police work has certainly changed over the years, I should say. We will have more episodes of Dragnet in the weeks ahead. I think it's time to lighten things up around here with a visit to the Comedy Corner. <laughs> Something familiar. Something peculiar. Something for everyone. A comedy tonight. Ah! Something appealing. Something appalling. Something for everyone. A comedy tonight. Nothing with kings. Nothing with crowns. Bring on the lovers, liars, and clowns. Situation, no complications, nothing portentous or polite. Ready tomorrow, comedy tonight. <laughs> well, this week on the Comedy Corner, we're traveling to Beverly Hills to visit with Jack Benny and the whole gang on the Benny Show. 
This episode was originally broadcast on CBS on February 27th, back in 1955, and it is commonly referred to as the show where Jack watches wrestling on TV. Here it comes. The Jack Benny Program, transcribed and presented by Lucky Strike. program starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston, Rochester, Dennis Day, Bob Crosby, and yours truly, Don And now, ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to take you back to Thursday evening at the CBS radio studios. The Jack Benny Show has just finished its weekly rehearsal. All right, fellas, that's about it. But before anybody leaves, I want to check some things. Hey, Malin. Yes, Jack? I'd like you to rehearse the opening music with the boys. I'd like the tempo picked up a little. Okay. I intended to have another orchestra rehearsal anyway. I want to stay and go over my song once more. Oh, fine, Dennis. Now, Don. Yes, Jack? One little thing. Every time we rehearsed that joke on page 12, you broke up and laughed through the whole thing. (laughs) I know. Well, Don, you're supposed to play that straight. You're supposed to do it with sincerity. It's not funny when you laugh. Jack, I can't help laughing. It is funny. (laughs) Well, let's try it once more, Don. This time, play it straight. Let's rehearse it once more. It's on the bottom of page 12. Go ahead. Okay. Now, take it, Don. Now, don't laugh. You know, ever since I was born, my father wanted me to be a jockey. Oh, Don, that's silly. Jockeys only weigh about 90 pounds. Well, that's exactly what I weighed when I was born. heaven's sake. You laughed all the way through it again. Well, Jack, I just can't help it. It's so ridiculous. Ridiculous? Yeah, when I was born, I weighed 120 pounds. How do you like that? And I paid a writer $9 for that joke. Now, fellas, we'll have another script rehearsal tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock. Can't you make it later, Jack? I've got to get a haircut tomorrow morning. Well? Well, Mr. Benny, I have to get a haircut, too. Hey, that's a coincidence. I have to get a haircut, too. Hmm. The only thing I can't stand is a bunch of show-offs. <laughs> well, fellas, we've scheduled the rehearsal for tomorrow morning. Why do you have to waste time like that? Oh, it's not a waste of time, Jack. Don't you get haircuts when your hair gets too long? He has Rochester wash it and it shrinks. <laughs> Dennis, I suppose you thought that was funny. Yes, sir. I agree with him, Jack. <laughs> oh, you agree with him, eh, Don? Yeah. According to the greatest authorities on comedy, the basic ingredient of all humor is the blunt insult. Really, Don? Yes. Well, shut up, blubber bucket. Is that blunt enough? (laughs) Now, let's see. Dennis, if you're ready to rehearse your song now, I'd like to hear it. Oh, my throat is a little dry. I think I'll get a Coke first. Oh, well, Malin, why don't you let the boys in the band take a little break? Yeah. Okay, fellas, take five. (laughs) He meant five, he meant not three. (laughs) What a bunch of guys. Go ahead, fellas, take a five-minute break. 
Oh, say, Malin, I've noticed something. Every time the boys and the band leave, Sammy the drummer stays behind. Now, why doesn't he go with them? Well, Sammy doesn't like to mix with them. They're always insulting him and saying mean things about him. I've noticed that, too. Why didn't he stick up for himself and answer him back? Oh, he's afraid to. Afraid to? But Sammy's the biggest guy in the band. Is he a coward? Not exactly, but you see, he's been down on his hands and knees so long, he thinks everybody is ten feet tall. (laughs) Gee, he must think the piano is the Golden Gate Bridge. Well, that's about all. I'm going to my dressing room. Malin, let me know about those new arrangements as soon as they're ready, will you? Okay, Jack, I'll call you. Uh, what's your number at home again? Crestview 40555. Crestview 40555. That's right. See you tomorrow, fellas. Oh, I'll walk with you, Mr. Benny. I'm going out in the hall for a drink. Okay, kid. Gee, the studio sure looked nice and bright since they replastered and painted the wall. Yeah. They? Must have cost a lot of money. It cost $4,629.92. Dennis, how'd you know the exact amount? My mother was foreman on the job. <laughs> well, here's the Coke machine. You said you wanted to get one. Oh, yeah. Well, let's see. Oh, here's a dime. Hmm, nothing came out. Dennis, don't beat on the machine like that. You'll break it. But I put my dime in and nothing came out. Well, that's the chance you take. (laughs) Say, wait a minute. Here's a sticker on the machine. It says, for repairs, call Crestview 40555. See you later, Dennis. Hey, wait a minute. That's your number. Don't be such a bad loser. (laughs) I'm going to my dressing room. Well, I'll get all my things out of here, out of my dressing room, and then I'll... Yes, miss? Say, what are you doing here? Miss, this happens to be my dressing room. Mister, either you can't read or you ought to get your glasses fixed. It's my dressing room. It's been converted. Well, I guess I'll get my things together. First, I better call the parking lot and have them push my car around to the front. <laughs> Takes longer now that a wheel is missing. <laughs> Hello, this is Mr. Benny. Will you please bring my car around to the front? Thank you. Well, I might as well go now. I think I'll go to the studio and say goodbye to the gang. So long, fellas. Oh, Mr. Benny, I thought you'd gone home. I'm just leaving. Can I drop you at your house? No, I'm going to the doctor across the street. I'm getting a treatment for water on my knee. Oh, gee, Dennis, I didn't know you had water on the knee. Well, I have, and it bothers me a lot, especially at night. At night? Yeah, the splashing keeps me awake. (laughs) It's at its worst about three in the morning. Why? That's when the tide comes in. (laughs) Don, you see, Don, you shouldn't have asked him. I was going to ignore the silly kid. He's making the whole thing up. He hasn't got water on the knee, probably never had it. Oh, yes, I have. I got it when my mother dropped me when she was giving me a bath. When you were a baby? No, last week. (laughs) Now, cut that out! (laughs) 
And Malin, don't forget to call me about those arrangements. So long, fellas. How'd you enjoy your dinner, Mr. Benny? That was very good, Rochester, and I'll have my coffee. Here you are. Would you like a little cognac in your coffee? I would, but have we got any cognac? Yeah, I squeezed out that... I squeezed out that fruitcake you got for Christmas. <laughs> I'm glad you squeezed that joke out, finally. <laughs> going to get it there for a minute. <laughs> well, good, good. That's my next line. Good, good. Say, say, boss, after I finish the dishes, can I have the rest of the night off? I guess so. Have you got a date? Yeah. I'm going over to my girlfriend Susie's house to watch television. It's so nice and cozy there. Just the two of us on the sofa with the lights dimmed down. Say, this will be the third time this week you've been there. Have there been any good shows on television this week? Who knows? They're Seth Brogan. <laughs> okay, Rochester, you can have the night off, but be sure you're home at a reasonable hour. You're reasonable or my reasonable? <laughs> Never mind. Just don't be so late. That... Want me to answer the phone, boss? No, you finish the dishes. I'll get it in the den. Mm, his reasonable or my reasonable. Never forget last New Year's Eve. He went out. He didn't come in till 5. February 5. <laughs> I'm going to have a long talk with him. Hello? Hi, Jack. This is Malin Murray. Oh, have you got those musical arrangements I asked for? Well, I was bringing them over with Remley, but he had to stop off here at a gas station to get filled up. <laughs> oh, well, uh, wait a minute. I didn't know Frankie had a car. He hasn't. He'll drink anything. <laughs> oh. I'll try and get them over soon. Okay, Goodbye. Hey, imagine Frankie getting high on gasoline. I hope it's mobile gas, then everybody can look for the sign of the flying red guitar player. <laughs> Gosh, what a bunch of guys those musicians are. I don't know why I keep them around. They can't play music. A lot of times they don't even bother showing up for the program. Well, they do show up the condition they're in. Now that I think of it, those fellas haven't sobered up once in all the years they've been with me. If they ever start cashing their checks, I'm going to fire them. <laughs> I don't know why. I... Say, what's this message here on the phone? It's in Rochester's handwriting. Daryl Zanik called. Oh, Rochester! Rochester, what's this message about Mr. Zanik calling? Oh, yes, Mr. Betty. He phoned this afternoon from 20th Century Fox Studios. What did he want? What did he want? What? 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 You owe him a dime. That Coke machine is out of order. <laughs> oh, well, you know what to do. Send him the questionnaire he has to fill out and the six form letters he has to sign in front of a notary public. But, boss, nobody will go through all that just to get a dime back. I know. <laughs> Are you going out to a movie tonight, Mr. Benning? No, there's some good wrestling on television tonight, and I want to watch it. Hey, look what time it is. I better turn the set on or I'll miss the main event. Well, while you're watching TV, I'll go back in the kitchen and finish my work. Okay, Rochester. While the set's warming up, I think I'll get comfortable here in this chair. Hey, what's this picture coming on? Those four fellows look like the Sportsman Quartet. Now, for their next number, the Sportsman Quartet will sing No Business Like Show Business from the 20th Century Fox picture of the same name. <laughs> 
butcher, the baker, the grocer, the clerk. No, we're the sportsmen on the radio. We've muttered, we've stuttered, and we've gone berserk to make our lucky strike commercials go. What we do to a song is really sad. What other business pays you to be back? Till the end of time, we'll be haunted by this rhyme. Smoke a lucky from Kentucky, they're just ducky. Yes, and they're all mine. strikes in every line. There's no business like show business like no business we know. Everything about it is appealing. Everything the traffic will allow. As for money, we get hardly any. We work for Benny right up till now. There's no trouble like our trouble when we try to Another program of music sponsored by the Shamrock Hotel in Houston, Texas. For reservations, call the clerk right at the hotel. The number is Houston 690-38-576489-4102-736965. Gee, everything's so big down in Texas. <laughs> what a number. Oh, correction, please. I've just been notified that for reservations at the Shamrock Hotel, you're to call the Flamingo Hotel in Las Vegas. The Flamingo has just won the Shamrock. That's silly. I better get the channel the wrestling matches are on. Well, that was an exciting bout. That's it, that's it. Hey, now, before we telecast the main event, here's a word from our sponsor, the friendly credit clothing store. Yes, men, if you need slacks, suits, sport jackets, or any other wearing apparel... Get them at the Friendly Credit Clothing Store. No money down, just pay a dollar a week. And remember, these clothes are guaranteed not for months, not for years, but for life. They have to be because that's how long you'll be paying. <laughs> hmm. 
Now back to the wrestling matches. And now we're ready for the main event. Both wrestlers are now in the ring. The contestants are Lord Featherstone and Professor Lamont, who is known as the absent-minded professor. Gosh, what big fellows they are. The referee has summoned the men to the center of the ring. Featherstone has taken off his robe and his trunks are black with a white stripe. Now the professor is taking off his robe and his trunks are... Well, he really is absent-minded. <laughs> Oh, the match is about to start. This should be good. There's the bell. The men advance to the center of the ring and start circling around each other as they... What happened to the picture? The set went off. I wonder what's wrong with it. Oh, Rochester! Rochester! Yes, boss? I was watching television. All of a sudden, the set went off. Maybe you made a short circuit when you dropped in the coin. (laughs) That set's in the guest room. It's probably just a loose wire. You try and fix it. I'm going to get the wrestling matches on radio. Yes, sir. See, I don't even know what radio station it's on. Let's see. Please don't leave me, Joe. Please, please. I've been a good wife to you, although I'll admit that I've nagged a little. Never had your dinner ready when you came home at night. Never made the beds in the morning and let the furniture stay dusty. That's not it. That's a soap opera. Maybe it's around here. That's it. That's it. And Dusty Rhodes has just hit a home run into the right field stands, and the Giants defeat Cleveland in the first game of the World Series. This program was transcribed earlier for release at this more convenient time. Oh, for heaven's sakes, where are those wrestling matches? We played the game of stay away, but it cost more than I could pay. Without you, I can't find my way. I surrender, dear. Boy, would she stump the experts on what's my line. Rochester, how you come along with the television set? I can't get the program on radio. Well, I've looked all over the set. I can't see anything wrong. But it just went off suddenly. See, maybe the wire has been kicked loose where it's plugged in. You want me to go over to the Coleman's house and see? <laughs> Look, never mind the joke. Just see if you can fix the set. I'll try the radio again. And sometimes I forget to sew buttons on your shirt. <laughs> Leave a sink full of dirty dishes, spend too much money on clothes, neglect the children, burn your toast in the morning. Hmm. Maybe it's lower on the dial here. And now, fellow members of the Ladies' Auxiliary, it is oh, my pleasure to present sake. our guest of honor. What Ladies, it? it's a pleasure to be with you today, and as a member of the local Chamber of Commerce... I feel it's my duty to defend our fair community against these disparaging remarks about the smog conditions in the Los Angeles area. (laughs) They say that smog is a menace, but I am proud to say that I was born in this community and have lived here for 36 years. I'll admit we do... We do have a very minor problem. But they would have you believe that the hangs over the... 
anything but what I want to listen to. Where are the wrestling matches? I may seem proud. Oh, for I may act gay. It's just a pose. I am not that way. Her, the smog doesn't hurt at all. <laughs> Why can't I get the wrestling matches here? Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. The evil that men do lives after them. The good is often interred with their bones. So let it be with Caesar. Thank you, Mark Anthony. <laughs> what? This news program was transcribed earlier for release of this Mark and Venus. Well, this I don't understand at all. We'll bury Caesar in just a minute. A word from our sponsor. For heaven's sake, Rochester, can't you get that television set fixed? I'm fixing it, I'm fixing it. What's wrong with this radio set here? I want to get the wrestling matches. Sometimes I'd stay out too late at night. Oh, for <laughs> And I, I always have accidents while driving your car, and I lose the rent money playing connected. Oh. And, and I'll admit that I've let myself become sloppy. But you're not going to leave me, are you, Joe? Yes! <laughs> Gosh, Joe had a big part. <laughs> Why can't I get the wrestling matches? Oh, has this been exciting? I've got it, I've got it. Yes, this has been the most exciting wrestling match we've ever seen. You've just heard a statement from the winner of the match, and now coming up to our microphone for an interview is the loser. Now, you lost the match when the referee gave you the submission signal. Now, can you tell us why you gave up? He broke my arm, caught my hair, more than I could bear. When he smelled all my hair, I surrendered here. Well, this is the craziest thing I've ever heard. I'm going to a movie. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Brotherhood Week, sponsored by the National Conference of Christians and Jews, seven days set aside to remind us of our responsibility to our neighbors every week of the year. It's a reminder that this country was built by people of every race, every creed, and every color. That mixture has been our strength. Let's keep America strong by living brotherhood. Let's keep it one nation under God. Thank you. Boss, it's a shame the wrestling matches were over before I could get the television set fixed. Yeah. Well, gosh, it's too early to go to bed. I know what I'll do. There's an all-night supermarket down on the corner, and I'll go down there now and buy our Thanksgiving turkey. That's a good idea, boss. This program was transcribed earlier for release at this more convenient time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good night. <laughs> Josephsburg, George Balzer, John Tackerberry, Al Gordon, Al Goldman, and produced and transcribed by Hilliard Marks.
was the Jack Benny Show from February 27, 1955, and that would explain why the joke about going out and buying the Thanksgiving turkey was funny. I get, there must have been a lot of discussion about shows being transcribed back in the early 50s because that was about the time they started introducing uh, various ways of taping shows. Just a couple of quick program notes. I remember when I was a kid, they always talked about uh, Texas being big. And that kind of changed when Alaska became the 49th state and was bigger than Texas. But there used to be jokes all the time. And Jack alluded to one there tonight, that everything is bigger in Texas, even even the phone numbers. Did you catch the way the uh, soap opera reflected what women's responsibilities were back in the 50s? She wasn't a very good wife because she didn't, you know, make the bed and dust and cookies favorite dishes and all of those things. It, it really, I mean, I know it was a joke, but it also reflected the uh, attitude that uh, people had, as did the commercials you hear all the time. The uh, suggestion that L.A. was smoggy, <laughs> this is something I remember a little bit about. I can remember when they actually had smog alerts and schools were closed. It wasn't as bad in Long Beach where I was. I mean, it was bad. I can remember days when literally as a, you know, a youngster, my lungs would hurt and you'd go outside and you'd start crying. Uh, it even got worse in, in the valley and particularly bad up against the uh, the mountains in towns like San Bernardino and Pasadena and Riverside. Oh, those places used to get just so terribly, terribly smoggy. I don't remember people doing a lot of coughing. I, I suppose they did, but it was mostly crying and uh, nose running. But I remember literally my lungs hurting on smoggy days, which were frequent in the summertime and around summertime. Uh, it was suggested that kids wouldn't shouldn't go outside and play. And a lot of times that affected our ball games and whatnot. Rather sad thing. And then, of course, there was the reference to the uh, uh, flying red guitar player. Remember when mobile stations used to be identified by the flying red horse? And you would hear that on commercials often. Get your gas at the sign of the flying red horse, mobile. Now, of course, it's mobile Exxon, and they've gone through all that consolidation stuff. Well, that was a fun episode. More Jack Benny coming in the weeks ahead. Now. Oh.
that music instantly transports us back to Dodge City, Kansas. It's the 1870s and we're walking up Front Street shoulder to shoulder with the Marshal, Matt Dillon. Before it's over, we're going to meet up with Kitty and Doc and Chester and the whole gang on Gunsmoke. This week's episode was originally broadcast on CBS on January 13th in 1957. It was written by John Meston, and it's a really good story. And he uses as his theme the the name of the poem by Shelley from the 1800s. The name of the poem was Ozymandias. We'll talk a little bit about that poem and what it means at the end of the show. Here it comes, Gunsmoke and Ozymandias. City and in the territory on West, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Gun smoke, starring William Conrad. The story of the violence that moved west with young America. And the story of a man who moved with it. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. The first man they look for and the last they want to meet. It's a chancy job, and it makes a man watchful. And a little lonely. We take the day off tomorrow, Matt. See if we can shoot us a deer. Oh, that's not a bad idea, Doc. Looks like we might get a light snow tonight. Make it easier to track them. You couldn't track a three-legged buffalo in a box, can you? Oh, is that so? Well, let me ask you, who tracked that antelope we shot just before Christmas? It wasn't an antelope, it was a deer. Yeah, well, that's not the point. And you didn't track it, Chester did. Uh, You want to stop in the office for a while? Darn right I do. Matt, I recollect that antelope just like it was yesterday. Dear, Doc. Good morning, Chester. Dear. That fellow's back there waiting to see you, Mr. Dillon. Oh. Morning, Marshal. Hello, Burke. I thought you were back in Washington. I was. Coming on the train last night. Got a job for you, Marshal. Is that so? Yeah, they got that. 
What's he saying? You know, Doc, don't you, Burke? Yeah, we've met. Sure, we've met. I've been warning him for years about that blasted temper. Just mind your own business. Now look at him right now. You see veins swelling up in his neck, face getting red as a beast. So help me, Doc Adams. On, keep on like that, Burke Crager. One of these days, I'll make a coroner's fee off of you. <laughs> you mark my words now. Well, I didn't come here to listen to the half-baked opinions of some broken-down old quack. Quack, now wait a minute. You now, just... Both of you, wait a minute. Doc, you quit trying to drum up business. Well... What's the job, Burke? These papers ought to explain it pretty well. Oh, let me see. That's what I've been doing back in Washington. I don't mind telling you, it gives me a lot of satisfaction when I finally got them to issue them papers. Court ordered a United States Marshal in Dodge City, Kansas, for service of eviction notice. Yeah, look at the second one, Marshal. Took me pretty near three years to get justice done. Eviction order from Federal Lands Commission, Washington, D.C., to... One Sloat Carson. Yep. Finally getting them off my Guilty bar. of illegal homesteading, a portion of the Crager Ranch located in Section 246 Township. I see. Are, uh, you sure that this is justice, Burke? You got the papers right there in your hand, Marshal. It was issued according to law. I was talking about justice, not law. You aiming to separate the two, are you? How much range are you running now, Burke? Just over 30,000 acres. Uh-huh. And Sloat Carson's got a measly 360 acres in that homestead. They're going to break you to let him go on farming it? That's got nothing to do with it. The law's decided the land's mine. It's your job to get him off it. You've been driving yourself for ten years now, Burke, without a let-up. you got every inch of land between Briar Ridge and Walnut Creek, except for this piece that Sloat's living on. And I got it, too, now, once you serve that order. Why? What do you have to prove, Burke? It's what I have proved, Marshal, that I'd own the whole valley someday. Every last foot of it. And with Sloat Carson out, I do own it. I've gone along all these years keeping the old name Blue Sage Valley. But now that I own it complete, I'm changing that name, Marshal. It's the Crager Ranch now. From here on out. Yeah, yeah. From here on out won't be very long if you up and bust a blood vessel. For my son's name, Crager, too, I'll remind you. Burke. Sloat's put a lot of work into that place of his. You sure you won't think it over? You got them papers, Marshal. It's your duty to serve. All right, I'll serve them. I got no choice. And I bid you all good day. There is a downright mean man, Mr. Dillon. Yeah. Well, if he doesn't change his ways, he's going to be a dead one. You may be right, Doc. But not for the reason you think. Hmm? What do you mean? Sloat Carson's a peaceful man. That doesn't mean he'll take to being pushed off that land of his. smoke coming out of the chimney, Mr. Dillon. Reckon maybe he ain't the home. Uh, he's probably working out in the barn. Let's ride over there. It's just a cussed shame. That's what it is. That can't be a help, Chester. Bert Craig don't need this land no more, and he needs a second head. 
Yeah, he's got a devil on his back, Chester. Krager Ranch are the only three words in the world that mean anything to him. Well, there's a mighty poor reason for putting a man off land. He's proved well, up. Well, Marshal! Chester! How are you, so Swoat? <laughs> mighty good to see both of you. Yeah, you've been out this way for quite a spell. Oh, man gets caught up in things, Sloat. First he knows all his time's been taken. <laughs> yeah, that's a fact, all right. Come on up to the house. I'll set the coffee on. Oh. How you making on? Oh, tolerable. Crop wasn't too bad last year. Good. Next year, though. The next year's going to be my best one yet. Uh-huh. At their North 80, you know, I had to let it lay fallow the last two years for lack of time. By golly, I got in there last fall, plowed the whole darn thing before the snows hit. Slow so I had to work 18 hours a day to do it. But now it'll be in shape to plant right when the thaws come. Catch the melt off in the spring rains and Slow, I want a kaffir. Kaffir, Marshal. That's the best feed crop in the world. Been too dang much for seed, maybe, but in the long run, that'll pay out. Here, Marshal. You're almighty serious for some cause or other. Well, there's reason for it, Slope. This isn't just a neighborly call I'm making. Burke Krager just got back from Washington yesterday. That's so... I guess you know what he was doing. Oh, same thing he's been trying to do for three, four years now. Steal my land away from me. Yeah. yeah. Well, he's finally done it. What? I got an eviction notice with me and an order from the land commission to serve it on you. I don't believe. You're joking, much? I wish I was, Sloan. I'm sorry. Nobody can grab a man's farm away from him. After he's put his sweat and blood, his whole heart into it. The order gives him a right of prior occupancy. But he, he never run ahead of stock on this ground when I filed on it. There's nothing I can do about it, Sloan. Don't them fellas back there even care about my side of it? Don't they even want to hear my story? And according to the order, they notified you by mail. Oh, I got some kind of papers through the post. I couldn't tell what they was all about it. Just figured it was some more of Burke Crager shenanigans, some kind of bluff. It wasn't bluff, Mr. Jones. And them two, them papers said come to a hearing in Washington. Now, where'd I get the money to go to Washington? I don't know, Sloat, but the court's decided. Mr. Dillon, here comes old Crager's son. Crowdy Crager coming here? Now, you just take it easy, Sloat. Morning, gentlemen. Are you, Crowdy? Ain't you Crager's done enough? What'd you come here for? Maybe I come to undo some of it, Mr. Carson, if it ain't too late. I'm aiming to undo it myself, Crowdy. I'm figuring to use a gun. Now, wait a minute, Slope. I ain't a man that hunts trouble, Marshal. You know that. You know it as well as anybody. But I ain't letting four years of my life get took from me without putting up a fight. Killing Burke Krager won't change a legal decision, Slope. What did you mean, Crowdy? If it ain't too late. You served that eviction notice yet, Marshal? No, not yet. The law say you got to do it today instead of tomorrow, maybe? No. And I'd like to talk to you, Mr. Carson. Why? I may be able to tell you something that'll save your farm for you. I'll listen to you, Crowdy, but I won't promise nothing. You don't have to. Marshal, I think it'd be better if you wasn't a party to this. 
Why are you doing this, Crowdy? What's your reason? If you'd lived around my pa your whole life, you wouldn't have to ask. Carson, could we walk you into the barn? All right. Excuse us, Mark. Well, looks like there won't be any bloodshed after all, Mr. Dillon. I don't know, Chester. I wouldn't count on it. Oh, man, well, when did you get back? This afternoon. Well, how come you're still sober? Oh, well, now, that's one distinction I hold, Matt. I may not be the best doctor in the West, but I'm the soberest. Well, then maybe if you took to drinking a little bit, you oh, could... Doc, I, you never did give a man credit for anything, did you? <laughs> I guess I'm in a bad mood, Doc. Yeah? Evict Sloat Carson, did you? No, not yet. No? Why not? Well, let's say tomorrow's soon enough, huh? It's too soon, if you ask me. Have a beer. Uh, no, thanks. I was just looking around. Have you seen Kitty? Well, she was here a while ago, but she went to bed. I think she had a headache. Oh? She didn't have a headache, though. I know, Kitty. She just wanted to get out of here for one night. Well, I can't blame her much. Mm. Girl like Kitty ought to be married, Matt. Settle down, having children. Why don't you talk to her about it, Doc? I will. Yes, sir. By golly, I will. <laughs> you should have studied for the ministry. You know, I thought about that, but uh, the pay's bad. Now, there's a real Christian. Huh? I wouldn't talk if I were you, Matt Dillon. But at least I don't go around telling people how to live their lives, Oh, no, don't you? You know what I mean. Yeah, I won't admit it. You know what you need, Doug? Oh, you time. need some old woman to rail at, a nice fat wife to take it out. Oh, of. no, you don't. You don't turn it on me like that. You know, there's Widow Liffey's got that house at the edge of town, you know. I've seen how she stares at you when you drive by. You might do yourself some good there, Doug. Oh, Widow Liffey. Oh, I'm not saying a word. <laughs> I hear she's a good cook, too. Yeah, the only woman cook the railroad ever had. Till they found out she was a woman. Well, it took them six months. You gotta admire her for that. Oh, sure, I admire her for that. Well, all right, if you're gonna be stubborn about I'll it. I'll blow my brains out when the day comes that I gotta take a woman that, that crops her hair and wears men's boots and men's hats. All she needs is a beard and a rifle, and she'd make a good buffalo hunter. Female charm sure wasted on you, Doc. <laughs> Hers is. Hey, Mr. Dillon. Oh, yeah, what is it, Chester? Well, I figured I'd better bring these over to you right away. Judge Bent stopped by the jail and went... Hello, Doc. What's this about Judge Bent? Uh, well, he left these here papers, and I thought you'd already know about them. Yeah, let me see. U.S. Marshal Matt Dillon, injunction against service of eviction order number... Order in U.S. District Court enjoining one Burke Krieger from attempting to assume possession of land parcel known as Section 246. Plaintiff, Sloat Carson. Yeah, looks like Sloat's kindly outfoxed old Krieger, Mr. Dillon. <laughs> yeah, sure does. With young Crowdy's help. Well, Judge Bent says the land commission's only got jurisdiction in case nobody don't take it to court. He says Sloat could keep this dragging on for years. Well, Chester, it looks like we ride out tomorrow and serve papers on Burke Krager instead of Sloat. There'll be trouble, sure. Yeah, they probably will. 
mean, Marshal? Just do it. Thanks, Burke. Come in, Sam. Maybe I can rustle up a pot of coffee. Uh, no, don't bother. We're not going to be here long. Yeah, well, I'll take a minute. Uh, you serve them papers on Sloat Carson, did you? No. What? Why not? As a matter of fact, Burke, we're here to serve some papers on you. What's this underation you talking Judge about? Judge Bent issued this late yesterday afternoon. You better take a look at it here. What's that old fool doing poking his nose into my business? What's this? It's pretty clear if you read it. No, I don't have to read it. I know what it is. The only blasted way in the world Carson could have beat me and he stumbled onto it. In case you're interested, Judge Bent handed down a ruling at the same time to prevent me from serving the eviction notice. Then I'll run them off. I'll take a gun to him. I wouldn't advise that you try that, Burke. Marshal? Chester? Good morning. How are you, Crowley? What's the trouble, Pa? Trouble? Ten years, that's the trouble. For ten years I've fought for this valley, foot by foot. And when I get it right in my hand, the last square inch of at the Crager Ranch, this fool Sloat Carson blunders onto the one way of blocking me. He didn't blunder onto it. I told him about it. You what? I told him about that loophole in the land commission's order. You mentioned it one time, you remember? Are you sneaking, young whelp? Here now, you know what Doc said about you getting mad. I'll have the hide off your back. I'll beat you till you scream to have a bullet put in your head. Burke. Stand back, Marshal. Put down that horse, I'll cut the daylights out of you. You heard me, Burke. You yellow cur, pump out. Uh, Mr. Uh, Krieger. Uh, uh. Oh, what's wrong? Here, wait a minute, Crowley. Let me have a look at it. What happened to him? We got to get Doc out here right away. No use, Crowley. He's dead. Dead? Doc said it was going to happen like that if he didn't stop losing his temper. But he can't be dead. I I didn't mean for this to happen. It wasn't your fault, Crowley. You were trying to do the right thing. It was your father who was doing wrong. I can't even claim that excuse, Marshal. I didn't care what happened to Sloat Carson. I was just trying to hit back at Paul for all the years he bullied me. I don't guess he was easy to live with. But I didn't aim to do this. I just didn't. I, uh... I'll send Doc out when we get back to town and make out his coroner's report. I'll break this ranch up and sell it off every foot of it. I guess we'll be riding, Crowley. Krieger Ranch. I'll blot that name out if it's the last thing I ever do. Come on, Chester. Krieger Ranch. I'll show him how long that name will last. In two years, nobody will ever remember Sure don't live long after he's dead. Well, I guess that depends on how a man lived his life, Chester.
Gunsmoke. Produced and directed by Norman MacDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. The music was composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Sound patterns were composed by Ray Kemper and Bill James. Featured in the cast were Parley Bear as Chester, Howard McNear as Doc, and Georgia Ellis as Kitty. George Walsh speaking. Join us again next week for another story of the western frontier of America in the 1870s on Gunsmoke. This is the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. to CBS back on the 13th of January in 1957, you would have heard that episode of Gunsmoke named Ozymandias. Wasn't that good? The poem by Shelley that this was based on really says something about John Meston's uh, knowledge of literature and uh, how really well-read he was. Here's how the poem reads. I met a traveler from an antique land who said two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them, on the sand, half sunk, a shattered visage lies, whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command tell that its sculpture well those passions read, which yet survived stamped on these lifeless things, the, the hand that mocked them and the heart that fed. And on the pedestal these words appear. My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Nothing beside remains. Round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. Perhaps, uh... (laughs) Perhaps Chester said it best when he said, A man sure don't live long after he's dead. More gun smoke coming up next time. Well, I see it's time to gather up all this week's shows and carry them back into the vault.
Well, folks, that's going to kick things in the head for another week. We'll be back in two weeks, and we'll do it all over again. Chester is giving me the signal that I have to wrap this up. Apparently, we went long, so I apologize for that. This is Bob Bro. I'm so glad you stopped by, and I'm so glad you met me. Oh, 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 oh